What if it rained food? What if Earth was a cube? What if we had nine lives? What if bits could fly? It's absurd. If money grew on trees, if we didn't have knees, if we walked through life slightly magnetical, it's absurd. Absurd hypotheticals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Absurd Hypotheticals, the show where we overthink dumb questions so you don't have to. I'm your host, Marcus Lehner, and I'm joined here today by Chris Yee and Ben Storms. Say hi, guys. Hey, I'm Chris. Hey, I'm Ben. Yeah, today's topic is very clearly not in my area of expertise, um, as we've previously established on this show, because today we are going to be talking about movies, which <laughs> it turns out I don't watch very many of. <laughs> we, have, we established that in the Patreon episode, so not everyone would have heard that, but... Now you've established it. Is that is that really the only place we talked about? It? I feel like it comes up all the time. We it's might have. I don't before. remember. Yeah. Well, I it, I've realized in the last couple of years that I've watched very very few movies, at least compared to you two. But that's okay. I don't need necessarily. I don't need to see very many movies for this episode. So our question today is: What if movies were real? So how are we doing this? First, we're not doing all movies simultaneously real at the same time. That would be crazy. <laughs> what we did is we each picked a movie. Um, and did it kind of one of our grab bag style questions where we each picked a different movie and the implications if that particular movie was real. In addition, to to add just a little bit more theme to the episode, we all decided to pick Keanu Reeves movies. This happened mostly organically, and then we decided to run with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the, fir- the first two picked were Keanu Reeves related, and then I found a third one. <laughs> They're like, huh, both of those are Keanu Reeves movies. Is there a third one? <laughs> yep. So, I'll go ahead and start then. The movie I picked, one of the few movies I've seen, The Matrix! Shame they haven't made a sequel yet. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so, Matrix, released in 1999. Uh, For those of you who don't know, uh, The Matrix is an action movie set in a dystopian world where everyone is living in a computer simulation. Why is that? Well, their actual bodies are trapped in these weird pods, and intelligent machines are using the human bodies to produce energy, because the humans screwed over the machines by blocking out the sun in their last big war. And it doesn't make much sense, because why would you use human bodies to produce energy? They suck at it. The thing is, humans do produce energy. In fact, there's actually a growing modern trend of inventors trying to use the body heat we emit to power like wearable electronics, like smartwatches and things. Because generally, a, like a human body emits about 100 watts of power as body heat. This is actually like 80% of the energy that the human body uses we use to make body heat. And like the last 20-25% is what we actually use to like do the things that we do. Like, you know, move and, you know, mechanical energy you could call it. But how much is 100 watts? It's not nothing. Like another way you can compare it is that like if you look at the energy we produce per day on a 2,000 calorie diet, a person's body could power a car for 20 minutes through its uh, body heat. Which, again, it's not nothing, but it's not great, like, if you're looking at, like, trying to actually power, like, machines and things. That's better than I expected, though. <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of where I was at, too. I was like, ooh, interesting. We might actually be able to use this power. The real problem is that we need to have food to produce energy. And the thing that sucks about humans is that we're a little bit up the food chain because, you know, we eat other animals and plants and things. And every step you take up the food chain you basically have a 90% loss in energy. Like, if we eat a plant, the plant has, you know, sucked up 100% of the energy it's getting from the sun. We only get 10% of that when we eat it. I don't know about you, but I I like being at the top of the food chain. 
Oh no, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's got benefits, <laughs> namely that there's nothing above us. But like, if you're thinking like society-wise, from you know smart machines, humans are not a good way to. It's not an efficient way to do things. And you know, to put it into a slightly different context, again, if you take what we eat, if we, you know, if you if you produce what we eat and then give it to us, you have you get ten percent of that energy back. If you just burn biomass, it's thir- it's about thirty percent efficient. So it's actually better for them to just light whatever they were going to feed us on fire (laughs) they would get three times the energy than if they tried to use us for you know the way that they do in the matrix so it doesn't make much sense but there is a rumor for why this doesn't make any sense because the again this is rumor but i saw it in a few places on the internet and it seems pretty convincing to me the rumor is that the initial pitch for the story is that the humans weren't used for energy but rather for processing power for their brains And so that was the original concept, and then some executive decided it was too complicated for people to understand, pulled it and switched it out with human batteries. Like, they could understand that. They they could understand human batteries, but they couldn't understand human computer brains. And there's, like, actually some, like, pre-release materials that had, like, this kind of explanation on it. And then uh, Neil Gaiman actually wrote a short story for The Matrix called Goliath that released, like, along with the movie that had that explanation instead of the one that was actually... In the movie, I guess they wrote it, you know, ahead of time and didn't bother to, to fix it up. And this one makes a lot more sense to me because that's actually something that does function. Like, that's something human brains are good at is processing information. We're not good at making energy, but we're good at processing information. So I kind of decided to see, let's revisit this scenario with the brain processing power being the reason that humans are in these pods. And how would that work in real life, quote unquote? So the first question is, you know, we're always hearing that human brains are so miraculous and so smart compared to computers. So first I wanted to see if that was actually like even true. It's tough to draw a direct comparison between brains and computers because they function quite differently. The reason that human brains are always, you know, so fast is because how flexible it is. They call it like neuroplasticity, but basically a computer has like RAM, it has like storage memory, it has like all these individual different parts that all have like a specific function. Biologically, our brain is really good at one, using the the same neurons to serve different roles. They can switch between them. You know, this neuron can either serve as processing or it can serve as memory or it can serve as this and it can change. And also it can change all these connections with neurons. And of course the way the neurons map out, you know, each neuron makes multiple connections instead of being just in a state of one or zero. And, you know, there's all these different things about how it being so flexible and complicated gives you so many more options. And that's kind of the, the reason brains are still competing with computers. So even though they function quite differently, they have they have done studies and estimates to try to put a human processing power in computer terms in what they call flops, which is basically how many bits of information you can flip in a given time. And it's basically equivalent for processing power. So it's been estimated that the human brain operates at the equivalent of one exaflop, which is one of those numbers after trillions and quadrillions where you have to start using, like, scientific notation and all those fancy things. No one knows what they mean. The top supercomputer currently, uh, named Fugaku in Japan, operates at 415 petaflops, which is also one of those numbers after trillions and quadrillions. Do you know how many zeros that is? Yes. The peta is 15 zeros and exa is 18 zeros. Okay. So in this case, it's actually super close. The supercomputer Fugaku actually operates at 41% of 
human processing speed. So they're actually like in the same order of magnitude, which is kind of interesting to me. And so it's like, oh, you know, well, if you have a futuristic sci-fi thing, you know, they're probably better than Fugaku. Why don't they just use that? And now energy actually kind of comes back into play a little bit because, you know, Fugaku does this with 29,000 kilowatts of energy and supercooling. And the human brain does the same processing power with like two cheeseburgers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have all this human processing power, but is it enough to create this fantasy world for everybody where, you know, you're, you're creating this alternate reality that's convincing enough that we don't see right through it? Because if you look at, you know, modern games, MMOs and all those things, like, yeah, there's a there's some pretty immersive worlds, but you can you would definitely be able to tell you're in a video game world. So the first part of it is the graphics. Like, you know, at what point is, you know, the image you're seeing on the screen in, indiscernible from, you know, the resolution of real life? So I started looking at the uh, the infamous G4, uh, GeForce RTX 3080, which is one of the more powerful graphics card available. And it's one of the ones that you get if you want to actually like play games in 4K on top settings and all those things. So the GeForce operates at 29.7 teraflops, which is yet another one of those big numbers, but this one happens to be 10,000 times less than our brain processing power. So really being able to generate even a pretty detailed world at like, you know, a draw distance that we could, you know, we would expect, it's not going to be too crazy. And I don't think we're going to have any problem having, you know, if a brain was running the graphics processor, it has theoretically enough capacity to do whatever graphics we wanted. So the graphics aren't going to be a problem. But the other challenge when you're designing a big game, like an MMO or something, is making the world realistic by filling it with, you know, quote-unquote people. Generally, games use NPCs or non-playable characters who have, like, a set dialogue tree. They don't generally move from one spot. And, like, even in games that boast, like, realistic NPCs, it's often, like, a pretty thin facade. Chris, do you remember we did a, uh, a video back? We, we uh, Red Dead Redemption 2 is, like, a Western adventure game. And they boasted, like, oh, the NPCs have, like, you know, real lives and habits, and they're so realistic. And then, like, we follow this guy around. And, yeah, he went to, like, work, and he did some stuff. And then he, like, hung out by, like, a garage for, like, seven hours and didn't move while smoking a cigarette. He did a lot of gardening. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. He's, like, he's working, he's gardening, he's, like, making his way through this field. Yeah, and then his day was over, and just instead of sleeping at night, he just went and stood, like, under streetlight for hours and hours We named and hours. him Bovin. <laughs> we did we named him Bovin. I don't remember why. So that's gonna be the next tricky bit. Because even more so than having like full lives programmed in and set for each person that like if you, you know, investigated what they were doing, if you followed somebody around, you would you wouldn't notice it. It's also like conversations. Because they have to be able to pass the Turing test. If you know the Turing test is the Turing test is a basically a bar used to see if a, if a machine has artificial intelligence and the idea is you have one person at a, at a computer terminal they're asking questions of a person and of a computer who's trying to act like a person and if the person having these two separate conversations can't guess which one is the computer and which one is the person it has passed the turing test and you know therefore your computer has some you know counts Cross the bar for having artificial intelligence and, you know, you would be fooled if you're talking to a computer. So the, the Turing test is, is notoriously tricky for computers because humans are really good at picking up on, like, social cues and when things aren't quite right with how people are talking. Even though communication is so subjective and all these different things, we're very good at picking out when it just doesn't make sense. 
The nice thing is, like, we are using people for our processing power. So we don't even have to do, there doesn't have to be a fancy Turing test capable artificial intelligence there. We can just use the brains of people. Like, we're using the brains of people, but we just have to shortcut into that. And we don't have to do, they don't, you know, the machines don't have to do anything fancy. So I'm not worried about it being realistic conversations. But if you're talking to someone in the Matrix and using someone else's brain processing power to hold up the other half of the conversation, you can't. Ha like be living your fake life and them living their fake life at the same time because each reality is separate for each person like, you know each person's tricked kind of in their own space so basically whoever you're talking to they have to be kind of like inactive so that you can use their processing power to hold up their end of the conversation in your world but like even if you're talking with multiple people i was thinking if you're i'm taking i'm basically taking a conversation as the processing power you would need to convince someone that everyone else is real because if you're in a conversation, even with multiple people, you're either talking or listening. And say conversations split roughly 50-50. So you need one other person's worth of processing on the other side of the conversation. But if you have, you know, someone who's inactive just processing all these conversations, you don't necessarily need them to, like, in real time be listening to you on, at the conversation. Like, I imagine the cloud or whatever could just give them the information they would need, like, instantaneously, which would kind of make them twice as fast as conversation, because they only have to be there for, like, their half of it, and then they could do, like, two simultaneous conversations. Is this making any sense? Sort of. <laughs> it was always my impression that the other people were real people. Like, they were like Neo, so they weren't, like, NPCs. Maybe there are NPCs, so I haven't really thought about it. It actually wasn't super clear. Like, I don't watch movies, so I didn't watch the whole movie again. But, <laughs> I, like, from what I remember and from what, when I was researching, like, they don't really, like, there's definitely fake NPCs. Like, obviously you have the agents, but even the real people, like, there's definitely some number of NPCs, like the, the, the woman in the red dress, yeah, I know if you that remember. For the training sessions, I know that they had NPCs in there. Yeah. I. So, it looked to me like every person's world was, like individual um like they didn't put everyone in a big mmo they they everyone has their own world that they're dealing with but anyway basically whenever you're interacting with somebody you need some inactive processing power to handle that so like for every hour that you're talking you know you're interacting with somebody you need an hour you know an hour's worth of somebody else's time but it's split 50 50 so you have a half hour that you're doing your your life and then the other person only needs you need half an hour of processing power for your hour of conversation because they can skip out on your half of the conversation. I definitely got way into my own head on this one. <laughs> <laughs> so I was basically figuring out how many people could you have that are active versus inactive. So 50-50, one person, every, you need one inactive person for every active person. But if you give that double efficiency, which I think is legit, only one in three people need to be inactive. And now, if you take that one in three people needs to be inactive, instead of picking people that are going to be inactive all the time and just two out of three people get lives and one out of three doesn't, you would you would split it up fairly so that, you know, you, you share the load between people, in which case you would just be inactive one third of the time for eight hours a day, which is sleep. This is not a hypothetical. We are in the Matrix. I will now take questions. Uh, I don't have questions. I don't have questions either. <laughs> Because I'm an NPC in your Matrix. If I ask questions, it would just, you know. I wasn't listening. Pull you in. I, was... <laughs> I lost you when you started talking about the conversations. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I muddled through that. So, Ben, now it's your turn. <laughs> yeah. So, I went with a much, much less complicated movie. 
Uh, I went with speed, which is about a bus that goes really fast because otherwise it's going to explode. <laughs> I love this. The plot is always so dumb. No, so, okay. The sequel is more dumb. <laughs> the, the sequel is way more dumb. I'm sorry. I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, it's on a, it's on a cruise ship. It's not good. <laughs> the cruise ship has to go fast. I thought about watching Speed 2. I decided it just was not worth it. I never actually saw it. Wait, so the cruise ship has to go 60 miles an hour when it explodes? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was something in that one. I didn't see it either. I read the, the synopsis and it's something where like some dude who got fired by the cruise company like takes over it remotely from inside the ship and like is running it towards an oil platform or something. I don't know. It's also not Keanu Reeves. It's also not Keanu Reeves in a very good career move on his part. <laughs> how, how, how do you do speed? How do you manage to pitch speed to and then admit you can't get Keanu Reeves and then still get it made? They got Sandra Bullock, right? Uh, Sandra Bullock is in it, yeah. Yeah. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Um, if you haven't seen Speed, by the way, you should watch it. It's actually just a very good movie. I have that's one of the few movies I have seen. I have seen Speed. I've not nice. seen Speed too. <laughs> good good call on both halves. <laughs> anyway, so if you aren't fully familiar with Speed, quick rundown of it. Yes, it stars Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Um, it was actually apparently going to star Stephen Baldwin and Ellen DeGeneres, and man, I am really glad they got Keanu and Sandra Bullock instead. <laughs> That's a weird, a weird oh cast. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. But uh, Keanu Reeves plays an LAPD bomb squad, like, SWAT guy, who, uh, at the start of the movie, they they stop this this dude's bombing plot in this building where he's moving an elevator, and then the guy takes revenge on Keanu Reeves by putting a bomb on a bus and getting him, like, involved in it. Um, and the idea is that once the bus first goes 50 miles per hour, the bomb is going to arm, and then if it drops below 50, it's going to um, explode. Couple things. One, I did see apparently originally the speed that they were gonna do was like twenty, which I'm glad they changed that because twenty miles per hour is not that fast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like it would just be like the first stop before anyone's like even aware of anything was right. Exactly. Yeah. It would the the, the 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 bus would like you know pick up some people, go forward, stop picking people up, and explode. And it's like, well, okay, <laughs> which is a much better plan, but a much less interesting movie. Right. Yeah. Well, actually, it's a worse plan because he was trying to get money, so he needed it to not explode for a while. Anyway, whole thing. Very good movie. Watch it. One funny thing also I just need to, to mention. So this was, you know, back in the days before people stopped doing opening credits in movies. And generally, you know, the, the way it kind of would go is that they'd have, you know, some sort of establishing shots or like a kind of, you know, exciting sequence that you could have just credits going, you know, popping up people's names over as things are happening, stuff like that. And I couldn't remember what they did in Speed. I think it'd be something good. And do you know what they did for the first minute and 50 seconds of this movie? Waited at a bus stop? Nope. It is a long tracking shot down the inside of an elevator shaft. Elevator? Okay. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> Almost two minutes long. Just that. I love the idea that you go to the theater and see this movie about a bus that's going to explode and just watch an elevator go for two minutes before it goes. <laughs> God, that's like that's like old show, like old movies and show logic where... Uh... Like, I know, like, in old shows, like, they would, they were worried people would get lost if they cut to things too quickly. Right. So, the example I remember is, is, uh, my mom actually, like, tells me that there was, like, this old detective show that she had, was watching, and it was, like, they went into a building and, like, got on the elevator, and they just sat in silence for, like, 20 seconds on the elevator, which they must have done because they assumed people would get confused if they just walked into the building and then were immediately at like the apartment upstairs so they made sure to like show like them walking in them going in the elevator them going waiting in the elevator the elevator opening up and then walking to the door instead of just like cutting to it ah so that's how they got their 
That's in- that's <laughs> incredible. That's so good. And it sounds so silly, but like this was like a legit problem when uh like early film and shows was oh yeah like, people would just not understand and now we can like now we're so used to it that everything is like over in a second like it's all subtleties yeah anyway so i wanted to look at some of the the various things that happen in this movie that are maybe a little a little hard to believe and see how that actually go in real life so so first off uh the first you know sort of big bus related showpiece in the movie we have the first one but one of the big ones so they are they have gotten off the highway and they're on city streets because there was a traffic jam um, and they're trying to get, they're trying to basically, the police are trying to get them to I-105, which are still under construction. Which, fun fact, every time they're on a highway in this movie, they're actually shooting it on I-105. Because when they were shooting this movie, that highway was under construction. So they had oh, this really? big, yeah, <laughs> this big open highway they could use for all their shots. So every highway in this movie is actually 105. That's actually really impressive. Which is really funny, yeah. So... The police are trying to get them there because it's under construction, so there's no cars there, and they have plenty of, you know, room to figure out a plan. And the on-ramp is a three-way intersection, like a T-intersection, where they have to do, a, like, a hard 90-degree right turn to get onto the ramp. And if you're thinking to yourself, that's a really weird way to set up a highway in L.A., you're also right because that's actually not a highway on-ramp where they filmed it. <laughs> it's just a right turn that has the highway in the background. So they're like, screw it, it's close enough. <laughs> Movie magic. But... They're, they're coming at this. They obviously can't go below 50 miles per hour. So um, Sandra Bullock, start, who is driving the bus, starts freaking out because she's afraid the bus is going to roll over. And Keanu says, you're right, and gets all the passengers to get onto <laughs> the right side of the bus, like on the inside of the turn, to keep, like basically shift the center of gravity of the bus so it won't roll. And so they hit the turn, take it, it goes up on two wheels and comes back down, and they're good. They're fine. They keep going. Does this actually work? Just one, can you turn a bus at 50 miles per hour on a 90 degree turn and then you know is it gonna roll so they actually tested this on mythbusters oh yeah this was this was a, a very good episode of mythbusters did they have a speed episode they had they had one that was it was like a, a i actually i actually bought it on amazon because i couldn't <laughs> find it anywhere else on the internet really yep <laughs> spent three dollars <laughs> for this podcast yeah i think i actually had some like prime credits so i don't think i actually spent real money but anyway oh. They had one that was like all all like car based stunts from movies and stuff, and so what they did was they took an, you know took an old bus, not the exact model of the bus they used in Speed, but an old bus, and put like barrels full of water on the the inside like inside of the the turn side of the bus to simulate having all the people on that side and shifting the weight that way, and then drove it at fifty miles per hour. They made a you know a turn out of like traffic cones, and you know just took the turn hard and it didn't roll. It worked. They they made the turn, made the turn successfully. Did not roll the bus. So, congratulations, speed. That actually makes sense. <laughs> was it was it like more about the the weight shift or more about just like buses don't yeah, really did the weights 50? matter? <laughs> uh, well, so they actually checked that. They then put the barrels on each side, and it still didn't roll over. I think buses are just actually pretty well designed. Okay. <laughs> I will say that both times, like it did definitely, you know like dip hard into the turn and on the one where it was evenly distributed the wheels looked they were pretty close to coming off the ground but they did not uh roll the bus they did want to roll the bus though because it's mythbusters so they put all the water on the outside of the turn and put some weigh plates on the top and i think also deflated the suspension on the left side and then remote controlled the bus and then did it one more time and just rolled it and it rolled you know no problem so <laughs> <laughs> mythbusters is a great show <laughs> 
Yeah. So I guess to answer our question, yes, you can make a 90 degree turn in a bus at 50 miles per hour, um, which I was not convinced that was going to be true just at all to begin with. So Yeah, I was, I was going to say before you started that you're wasting your time even bothering to check. <laughs> right. No, but no, it works. It You know, I think buses are, you know, they're designed to not do that necessarily but you know it they're a car like it shouldn't it shouldn't roll if you turn slightly too fast like but anyway so that worked the next one and probably the most famous stunt of the movie is the jump so once they get on 105 this is as you know a highway is under construction and on the map that the police chief had been given or not chief but whoever like the head police guy was it showed the highway was being complete but actually there was a 50 foot gap in the highway and there was no way for them to get off at this point. So basically all they can do is just gun it and hope they can jump it. So can you jump a bus 50 feet? <laughs> Which actually isn't even the question you have to ask. Because the bus lands entirely on the other side of the uh, the highway. So that means you actually have to incorporate the length of the bus as well. Which is about 40 feet long. So the question is actually can you bu- jump a bus 90 feet? So now you're wasting your time. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, but but well, let's just still go do some some you know we'll figure it out. We do know the speed the bus is going because because you know uh, Sandra Bolt guns it and they have lots of shots of the speedometer as it inches up. I mean, it's going about sixty eight miles per hour. Very dramatic. Oh yeah, about sixty eight miles per hour when they hit the jump. And going that speed, if it's just a flat jump off, there's no ramp or anything. If you just go out go through and you know it's pretty simple calculation, you can find out that it's going to drop about twenty four feet. Um, as it clears, you know, to get that that 90 feet forward. Obviously, that is never going to work if it's a flat, you know, a flat jump. It's going to slam into the other side of the highway, and that movie ends much more, you know, quickly than it does in the actual movie. So we're going to assume there's some kind of upward slope on the piece they're coming off of, which it kind of looks like there is, to be fair. And then the, you know, that's like the crest of a hill, so it's lower before. And we're going to see if that can kind of work. That is also how they did it. Well, how they actually did it, they didn't jump over an actual gap, obviously. They just, you know, pull that out and using, like, not CG because it's 1994, but... Uh, Compositing. Exactly, yeah. So they just jumped a bus using... They had, like, a kicker ramp. It was, like, a 15-degree ramp or something on top of... I think I want to say there was, like, an 8% incline or something. That seems high. I don't know that number for some reason. But, yeah, they, used, they just basically jumped it off a ramp um, and then filmed it and made it look like it was over a gap. But, uh... I did the math to figure out if it's just, you know, if it's landing at the same height, you would need about a 23 degree angle ramp, which is pretty severe. So I'm going to say this one probably can't actually happen. There's some combination of it going faster and having, you know, a natural incline on the highway they're jumping off of and it being lower that might get you there. But most likely you're not jumping 50 feet in a bus. I'm sorry to to break it to you guys. Yeah. And and I always use this when I look at ramp slopes, like... Because 23 doesn't sound like a lot because obviously it goes all the way up to 90 before you're vertical. Right. But like stairs are like 30. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like, it's practically stairs. Yeah. So it could be possible maybe, but the way it's set up in the movie, it's not. It's also funny because in the movie, for some reason, the bus like pitches backwards as it jumps off. Like it like rotates up as it jumps because the way they did the ramp, which looks really funny, but whatever. It got there. They actually jumped a bus, so it's cool enough. It's fine. And now finally, the biggest question that I figured it was absolutely, even more than the bus jump, would be absolutely impossible. So sort of, you know, the path they took is a little weird to figure out because they filmed in different places than where they actually said they were and things like that. But kind of what they did overall was take it from Venice Beach onto Interstate 10 
and then off of Interstate 10 and down to 105, cross over 110 and go to LAX. That's a pretty decent, you know, distance, about 30 miles on multiple highways in LA. Could you possibly get there in the roughly 35 minutes it takes in the movie? (laughs) This is LA traffic. (laughs) So I put that path into Google Maps. Okay. We actually have a start time because um, Keanu Reeves helpfully looks at his watch right when he's told where the bus is uh, by the bomber. (laughs) And it's 8.05 (laughs) a.m. It's like, hey, Ben, this is the number you want. (laughs) It is. Well, no. The the reason for it is that he's saying he wants the money by 11 a.m. So, like, it's so you can establish how long they have. But it has worked out well for for um, for me that they had a nice shot of Keanu's Casio like digital wristwatch, and uh, and actually it's it's about about half an hour they take to get to the airport in movie time, and I figured there was no way that at you know if I plug it in eight a.m. on just you know a random weekday in L.A. now you'd ever be able to get there, and I found out the low range on Google Maps is actually forty minutes, and that assumes that you are you know waiting at traffic lights and things like that. So that part is actually also technically possible, assuming that the path I took does make sense, which I think it does. So inexplicably, you actually can get there as fast as they did. Uh, and that's not even accounting for any like time skip movie magic. That's assuming it was, you know, pretty real time. So they did show how they did show the elevator, right? <laughs> they did. They did. Yeah, this is, this is old. This is old filmmaking. <laughs> exactly. They showed you the entire path. Just also at certain points, they jumped to like... They jumped down to like Long Beach for a little bit because that was where they wanted to film. So ignore that part. But otherwise, yes. This is just like <laughs> this is just like the result of like some you know directors arguing about the best way to do their commute, and then there's like you know what here this argument was interesting enough. I'm gonna turn this into a movie. Right. Exactly. But why do you need to commute fast? There's a bomb. <laughs> I, I will actually say sort of on how the movie um they came up with a the movie. There was a an older movie called like I think it's Runaway Train. That apparently it was kind of based on that basically someone saw it and said it would be better if there was a reason the train couldn't slow down. Like I had a bomb on it. What if it was a bus? Basically, that was pretty much their rationale for <laughs> making the movie, which is pretty great. They just changed it to a bus for no reason. Um, I think the idea is that they want to have a bomb on whatever it was. That was the first part. But with a train, it's a lot easier to keep it going. Like you can clear out a tracks. train track. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's a lot easier to handle that. A bus, there's a lot more, you know. I mean, speed ends on a train. <laughs> well, speed also does end on a train. That is true. But regardless, yes, that was kind of the way that the movie was was thought of. So anyway, I guess my answer here is that speed makes perfect logical sense if you kind of ignore the bus jump a little bit. <laughs> oh, we're two, That's pretty we're sweet. two for two. <laughs> I was really surprised that one, that the, the bus turn just works. Like that one was shocking to me. And two, I thought that particularly in modern LA, there was no way that would ever work. Taking a route that that I'm guessing is pretty much the one they're supposed to be taking, and having it get there in about the time it took in the movie. Remind me, remind me how they actually fix the thing at the end. How do they actually like get rid of the bomb at the uh, end? They don't. They, they get all the passengers explode. off, and then it runs into a plane and explodes, and it's awesome. <laughs> you should watch Speed. Yeah, and they loop the security camera so that the guy doesn't know they're getting off the bus. Yes, yes, that's also true. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Watch I've seen this movie it. many times. It's, it's so good. Uh, it's on HBO Max, at least as of when we're recording this. So if you have HBO Max, just go watch Speed. It's two hours long. It's great. Anyway, Chris, what did you do? So the Keanu Reeves movie I chose was Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. If you haven't seen this movie, it follows Bill S. Preston Esquire and Ted Theodore Logan. And they're high school students. And they have to pass their oral history 
presentation or else they flunk out of the class, which means they flunk out of school, which means that Ted will get sent to military school, which means that their band will be broken up and they can't play anymore, which is the bad thing. High stakes. Yeah, I know. High stakes. (laughs) And there's a bomb in the classroom and every question (laughs) you get wrong. (laughs) Yeah. So they need to pass their history, uh, their history presentation. And to do this, someone from the future from 2688, played by George Carlin, his name is Rufus in the movie, is sent back to 1988 to help them do this with the time machine. And he, he wants to help them because apparently their music of the band that they don't want to break up will eventually shape like society in the future. So it's actually is high stakes. <laughs> oh, so, so exactly like that weird old guy who like at the start of our podcast came to us to make sure we didn't stop the podcast because it was going to change the future. Yeah. And then we went on a huge time in a time machine adventure thing. Yeah, I feel like I feel like our, I feel like our format really hit its stride after doing that. That yeah, was helpful. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to like see what happens because like in this movie, they go back in time and they pull a bunch of people from the past to bring into their history presentation but they pull them out of their timeline so i'm like wouldn't that mess up the past wouldn't that mess up all the history stuff i want to see what would actually happen so i'm gonna start with the caveat so this they pull a lot of people (laughs) and you could basically do a whole episode on each of these people probably so i'm gonna stop i'm gonna probably talk in broader terms i might gloss over some of them (laughs) but so the first person that they pick up is Napoleon. So they go to 1805 in Austria, uh, where Napoleon is. And in 1805, he's 36 years old. And at that point, he was emperor of France for about a year, and he was king of Italy for about seven months. So they take him in the middle of a battle. There's like a battle going on. And Rufus says that the French has, has just invaded Austria. So... If you want to try to pinpoint like what this battle is, it's probably around the War of the Third Coalition, which happened in like between 1803 and 1806. And this specific battle is probably when they first invaded Austria in the Battle of Austerlitz. So that happened on December 2nd, 1805. And it's kind of seen as one of the greatest victories achieved by Napoleon. He managed to defeat the larger Russian and Austrian armies, just like using smart strategy. And the French victory in this battle resulted in the Treaty of Pressburg, which is basically a peace treaty that it got them like land and Austria withdrew from the Third Coalition, which was like a an alliance against the French, basically. So it was like one of the first steps to ending the, the War of the Third Coalition. So after that war, there were like several other wars. It went all the way up to the War of the Seventh Coalition, (laughs) which was eventually how Napoleon was defeated in the Battle of Waterloo. And then after that, he was exiled and he died. Or did he? (laughs) Conspiracy theory, Napoleon's still alive and hanging out with Elvis. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, if, if Bill and Ted pulled Napoleon from the Battle of Austerlitz, then none of that would have happened. They probably would have lost the War of the Third Coalition. And the thing about the French, their expansion through Europe, it actually helped spread a bunch of different things through Europe that are more modern, like democracy and due process in courts and the abolition of serfdom. And it brought a demand for constitutional limits to monarchs. These are all good things. Yeah, Napoleon was the good guy? (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't know. I always had a like. I always thought he was a villain of some sort, but oh, winners write history, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't. He might have done some bad stuff. I don't actually know, but <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> history isn't my my strong suit, which is good that I picked the history answer. But yeah, so if Napoleon disappeared, none of this would have been brought to Europe, which is a bad thing. So that that was the first thing that. That was the first person that they, they picked up. Second person was Billy the Kid. They went to 1879 in New Mexico, and they picked him up. They, like, rescued him from a bar fight or something. And generally, Billy the Kid is famous for just killing a bunch of people and being an outlaw. He didn't really do anything, like, super historically significant other than just being, like, kind of a badass. And that's why he's famous. <laughs> so... How badass you have to be to be remembered forever, but never actually like do a big thing. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, if they if Bill and Ted plucked him out of his timeline, I feel like not much would have changed. He would just be gone. So the person after Billy the Kid was Socrates. Socrates probably had a bigger impact. So they went to 410 BC in Athens, Greece, and Socrates would have been in his late 50s at that point. Uh, if you don't know who Socrates is, he was a philosopher. He developed the Socratic method, which is basically asking questions to stimulate thought. And he was known to, like, if he was talking to someone, he'd just keep on asking questions until the person's opinions, like, started to align with his. <laughs> Every time I hear people talk really about annoying. Yeah, how, how he, like, talked to people, it sounds so aggravating like, to have a conversation yeah. with him. <laughs> He's just the absolute worst conversationalist. Right. Now, if he disappeared... There isn't a lot of like records of like what he actually was. A lot of the a lot of the records or writings of him were like secondhand through his student Plato. So he taught Plato, and um, Plato he developed ideas of like what they call pure reason and principles of like logic. And uh, his his namesake is like actually the origin of the term Platonic. So he is smart. <laughs> and Plato taught Aristotle. So Aristotle has a bunch of writings about a whole bunch of different topics like physics, biology, zoology, metaphysics, logic, ethics, aesthetics, poetry, theater, music, rhetoric, psychology, linguistics, economics, politics, meteorology, and government. He's also smart. And Aristotle tutored Alexander the Great. So he taught Alexander the Great in topics like medicine, philosophy, morals, religion, logic, and art. And then Alexander the Great went on to, like, conquer a lot of things. So there's this whole, like, ladder of teaching other people. If Socrates had disappeared, maybe none of that would have happened, and maybe Alexander the Great wouldn't have conquered anything. He would have been Alexander the Fine, and he would have been unremarkable. <laughs> Yeah, Alexander. Alexander. The, no, eh. just Alex. Just call me Alex. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just Alex. Yeah, so that that's what would happen if Socrates disappeared, maybe. After Socrates, they go to the 15th century in England. They don't specify exactly what year. They just say the 15th century. And they don't pull anyone from history there. They see a couple of princesses, and they're like, ooh, they're pretty. And then they almost get executed, but they escape. Um, and then they leave. <laughs> So good move. Yeah. <laughs> smart, smart move. So not much, not much happens there in terms of pulling people from history. But after that, they go to 
1901 in Vienna, Austria, where they find Sigmund Freud. He would have been 45 at that point. And Sigmund Freud was, uh, you probably know, he was very influential in psychotherapy. And he started his study and developed theories in uh, psychoanalysis, like sort of around 1885. And then he introduced, he first introduced the idea of the Oedipus complex, which is like, you're in love with your mom in 1899. Those were like the two things before 1901 where Bill and Ted got there. And then his his bigger influences actually didn't kick off until 1902, uh, which is after Bill and Ted got there. And that's when he started to gain more attention. And he like founded the International Psychoanalytic Association in 1910, which is like this whole organization of psychoanalysis, which is still around today. Yeah, none of that would have happened. <laughs> He actually Sigmund Freud probably wouldn't have been like a big name. Like people might not have noticed they disappeared because they took him before he was well known. So the next person, again, they picked a lot, they took a lot of people from history. <laughs> uh, next person is Beethoven. So they went to 1810 in Castle, Germany, and Beethoven is 50 at that point. And he probably would have had because he's known to his hearing wasn't that great. And he started to lose his hearing in 1801. So he probably would have had bad hearing. I don't think he would have been completely deaf at that point. But obviously, Beethoven was incredibly influential in the music world. It's kind of hard to trace like correlations to modern music. But I imagine music would be very different. Next, Joan of Arc. So they went to 1429 in Orleans, France. Or Joan of Arc, she was 17. And if you don't know who Joan of Arc is, she she reportedly received visions from Archangel Michael, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria, telling her to support Charles VII and to protect France from English rule during the Hundred Years' War. And her victories in the Hundred Years' War actually ended up boosting morale a lot. And eventually it led to the French victory and the end of the Hundred Years' War. And then and then two years after when Bill and Ted would have arrived, she actually got captured and was burned at the stake for her crimes, I guess, against England. But a pr presumably she would have been taken before that. So Bill and Ted saved her life. They might have not won the Hundred Years' War, maybe. Hard to tell. But she would have lived past 19, which is good. <laughs> after Joan of Arc they go to Outer Mongolia in 1209 where they find Genghis Khan I say 1209 but in the presentation they actually say 1269 I think that's just a mistake because the subtitle says 1209 and in 1269 Genghis Khan was dead at that point so I think that's Keanu Reeves said it I don't maybe he just that was an off day for him <laughs> <laughs> but before 1209, or actually before 1206, so Genghis Khan is known for like being a pretty brutal, ruthless ruler. But before 1206, he actually did a lot of good in Mongolia. He he like brought peace to a lot of the warring Mongol rulers in Mongolia. It wasn't until after 1206 that he started his military campaigns and did a lot of the stuff that he's more known for. So Bill and Ted picked him up like three years after his military campaign. Um, so he probably did a little bad stuff, like three years of bad stuff. But the more important thing that I think is his lineage. So 
he slept with a lot of women. So there's discussions about DNA evidence. Apparently, there's a certain Y chromosome where like 8% of the men in the Asian region have this Y chromosome. And it's an indication that they're descendants of Genghis Khan. 8% of the region comes out to about 16 million people. <laughs> so if Bill and Ted picked up Genghis Khan, maybe these 16 million people don't exist. God, that's a lot of descendants. It is a lot of descendants. Also, I want, I want my own special, like, traceable chromosome. That's cool. Uh, I'll get you one <laughs> this Christmas. All I want for Christmas is a traceable, unique chromosome that I can pass on to my 16 million descendants. 17 million. I'm going to shoot for this 17, guy. Yeah, do better than Genghis Khan. And then the last person they pick up is Abraham Lincoln. They go to 1863 in the White House, and they grab Abraham Lincoln. And in the presentation, he actually uses the term four score and seven minutes ago, implying that he has already given the Gettysburg Address, because that's where that phrase comes from, four score and seven years ago. And if that's the case, that means that they picked him up after November 19 of 1863. Um, this is during the American Civil War. And if they took him after this point, that means that the Battle of Gettysburg was already won and that he had already issued the Emancipation Proclamation that freed the slaves. So like a lot of the big things that he did had already happened. And the Civil War didn't end yet, but he had already put Ulysses S. Grant in charge of like the army. So, and they were like already on route to sort of win. They were, they were going to win. <laughs> so <laughs> the, spoilers, <laughs> the North won. <laughs> yeah. So if, if Bill and Ted took Abraham Lincoln at this point, I feel like they would still win the civil war. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. He did all the important stuff already. And they would have just saved him from his assassination on April 14th. In Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, hey, Abe, Abe, can you come with us? Like, well, actually, I was just about to head to this play. No, 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 come with us. It'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was the last person. So they brought everyone to the presentation and they got an A on their, on their presentation. And actually, the thing is, like, I, I assume that they pulled all these people from their timeline and that it would have ruined their timeline, but they do return everyone back to their timeline. And according to the movie logic that they use for, for this specific movie, for time travel, it actually does work. They wouldn't have messed up history. So everything I said just now was not true. <laughs> <laughs> All the stuff would have happened. The one thing is at the very end of the movie, Rufus brings them the princesses that they found in the 15th century England. And those are the two people that are actually permanently pulled from their timeline. So how would how would this affect anything? How would this affect history? I had to figure out who these princesses actually were. So they're fictional princesses, but I, I wanted to see if there was a real-life equivalent. So in the 15th century England, again, they're vague about the year, so it could be any time in the 15th century, but they specifically say that it's the castle of King Henry. And, and the princesses' names are Elizabeth and Joanna. I couldn't find princesses that aligned with those names, but there are four, I think it's four, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, there's four, four potential King Henrys in the 15th century that it could be. And two of them are not actually uh, viable options. So Henry V, he, he only had one child. And it was Henry VI. So he didn't have any daughters. And then Henry VI had no children at all. So it was neither of them. 
they didn't have the princesses. Um, so the other two options are Henry the Seventh and Henry the Fourth. Henry the Seventh had three, either three or four sons. It was a little vague because I think there is some confusion about whether Edward and Edmund are the same person. <laughs> <laughs> but he also has four daughters. Um, one of them is named Elizabeth, but she died at three years old. Another one of the daughters died at uh, just after eight days. And then the others were born very, very late 15th century, and they wouldn't have been old enough for this movie to still be in the 15th century. So the last option for King Henry is King Henry IV. King Henry IV had four sons and two daughters, and then one illegitimate son from like an unknown mistress. And so her, his two daughters were Blanche, who died in 1409 at age 17, and Philippa, who uh, married... I didn't write his name down, but he became the she became the queen of Denmark and was living in Denmark at the time that Bill and Ted would have got there. So she wasn't living in England when she, uh, they would have been there. So uh, we've run out of options, except that King Henry IV uh, had a second marriage with Joanna of Navarre, and she had five daughters and three sons, but five daughters more importantly. So like her daughters became Henry's daughters. Two of them died before the 15th century, so it could have been the other three. So the other three are Marie, Marguerite, and Blanche. <laughs> Freaking Blanche, the name gets me every time. <laughs> it's a very old-fashioned name. It could have been either any three of these, but I chose Marie and Marguerite because they're closer in age. They're only a year apart, which is what it looks like in the movie. And it like their age reflects what the, the princesses would have been in Bill and Ted. So... These are the princesses that get plucked out of their timeline. What are the consequences of these princesses in their timeline? There was not a lot of info on Marguerite's life. Uh, she, she, I guess she just wasn't that important or something. So not a lot would have changed with her. But the key thing about Marie's life is that she had a son named John. And John was actually a good friend of Joan of Arc and uh, a prominent supporter of Joan of Arc and became a commander under Joan of Arc. He played a pivotal role in the liberation of Loire Valley in 1429, which was one of the turning points of the Hundred Years' War, and it helped Joan of Arc. So if Marie no longer existed, then John no longer existed, and then maybe the French loses the Hundred Years' War, and then maybe England overpowers France out of, and, and France never, like, doesn't exist anymore. And then maybe Napoleon never existed because France doesn't exist anymore and they don't invade Austria. And then maybe that affects other things in Europe, like maybe like democracy doesn't get spread to Europe like the Napoleonic Wars would have done. Uh, and then maybe that affects other things like Freud and Beethoven, who are also in Europe. And then maybe just nobody in this movie exists anymore and Bill and Ted <laughs> don't get any of them. And they fail their test, and they don't start their band Wild Stallions, and then they don't succeed, and everything is sad. <laughs> I like how the two random princesses have more impact than everybody else combined. Well, it's because they got pulled out of their timeline, actually, and they didn't return like the, everyone else. But that's basically all I had. It was a lot. Love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. And then with that, we move on to our Would You Rather question. Okay, we're switching up today. I have the would you rather. Ah! ah. Marcus. Yes. Since you always ask and you never get to go first. Would you rather 
be able to speak to birds or fish. Ooh. Hmm. I'm assuming you can understand. Yeah, it's two-way well, communication. Right? Two-way. Okay. Like I can already speak to both of them personally, <laughs> <laughs> and my plants too. It helps them grow. Oh, dang. So that, it's kind of interesting because, like, you, the bird is where I am. I, the, the bird exists above the sea where I am. The fish can explore the deep. Yeah, you can already explore everything that the bird can explore pretty much. That said, I don't need that much information from the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> but aren't you curious? You're probably curious. I am actually curious. So actually, here's what I'm going to say. My, I'm starting to lean towards fish because I want to be able to, like, make a career out of it. And I think it's much easier to... Like, basically hide the power and become a marine biologist, and you just happen to stumble across, like, the best spots for, like, research. I mean, you could do the same for birds, right? Yes and no. There's just more you can still explore underwater, I think, is Marcus's point. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, and if I was going to be an animal researcher, I'd rather spend my time, like, beaches and, you know, coral reefs in the Caribbean for research, rather than, like, a rainforest, because as glamorous as the rainforests are and cool... And on land that they are, they're also, like, full of bugs and mosquitoes. And I can't... I imagine the experience is going to be a lot less cool than just, like, being on a boat. So I think I would translate it into... Yeah, in, into a scientific research. And the fish are going to be handier because they, they definitely provide a service that's less replicable. I can fly a drone. I guess I could fly a little... Like, you know, I could have an underwater-type drone. They're just not as good. Yeah, I mean, we have ways to explore both things. Let me Let me come at this from a different point of view. I'm leaning the same way. I'm leaning towards uh, talking to fish, mostly because if I can understand them all the time, birds talk a lot. <laughs> like I mean, I you're hear... going to hear the birds no matter what. Wouldn't you rather understand what they're saying? See, I wouldn't because that will just distract me no matter what I'm doing. There's always going to be a bird around somewhere yelling out some, you know, bird nonsense <laughs> I don't need to hear right now. I guess you can't just tune it out. You can't. It's also, the bird nonsense is also always going to be like, yo, girl, you up? Right. <laughs> you up? Right. How about some of this? <laughs> seeds here. There's some seeds here. Found some seeds here. There's some seeds here. <laughs> seeds here. Whereas I don't, I don't encounter fish all that often. So when I do, that's cool. I can talk to the fish, but I'm not going to constantly have to hear the fish yelling at me. Yeah. I and you could like it's yeah you can test it out too like if it becomes a burden you can have the fish you can get a pet fish to see like oh yeah this is gonna be cool i have a, a pet i can talk to back and forth and then you can decide like oh man this fish is just like a super downer and i want to get i, I want to sell my fish now. <laughs> right and you, you can get rid of your fish you know you can bring them back to the ocean if you want to you if you want to do them good but then you don't have to buy a fish you don't have to interact with a fish if you don't want to birds yeah they're inescapable they're 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 part of our world. I, I am going to say it is really, would be really awkward if sometimes you go to restaurants and they have, like, I just think we're actually, uh, the restaurant I went to on the, my, my first day with my wife, we were sitting next to a wall of fish tanks that all had fish in them that were, you know, cooked in yeah. various uh, dinners. <laughs> and that would have been real awkward. That would be, I feel so guilty. I feel like I won't be able to eat fish anymore. One one got pulled out of the tank right next to us as we were talking. Where we were like, "Oh God!" <laughs> I mean, like my you know, like my grandmother has a, a parrot that can like is one of the smarter ones that can like talk and stuff. And like you know, you like people have birds as pets, but it doesn't really stop them. I don't feel guilty eating like a chicken. Right. I'm. I'm. Yeah. In this case, if I could talk to birds, I still wouldn't feel guilty about eating chicken. But for some reason, I feel guilty about eating fish if I could talk to fish. 
<laughs> well, the thing is too, like imagine like if you have a small fish, like if you have a if you have a goldfish or something, and you eat like a salmon, like they're not gonna be like, oh no, don't eat fish. They're gonna be like, oh, those salmons are assholes. <laughs> <laughs> Screw those guys. You you eat as much salmon as you want. I mean, is that true though? Like, if you meet someone that eats people you just have to eat fish that are above the food chain for them <laughs> you have to eat the fish that eat your fish like if you eat if you meet like a racist cannibal who's like oh no i only eat uh irish people I'm like oh i'm not irish okay that's cool <laughs> i hate those irish people <laughs> well i mean like but if like you know i was walking around and bears would just like eat people regularly and someone's like hey i'm eating a bear i would be like yeah please eat the bears they eat me if you don't eat them I don't know. I feel like I feel like a fish wouldn't care that much if you're eating like a totally different and predatory species of fish. Maybe. Anyway, do we have clarity on what we want to choose here? I do. I don't, but I'll I'll just force myself to choose. Okay. You guys go first. Okay, I'll go first. I'm gonna pick. I'm I'm gonna stick with my fish. I think it makes the better job. I I want to I want to live in the in the warm and in the sea. And yeah, I think the ability to escape from your power if needed is easier with the fish than with the birds. Uh, I am also going to pick talking to fish because if I'm out like, you know, having a nice day in the wilderness and I hear birds, bird song, I want to be relaxed by it, not hear them yelling at their neighbors. <laughs> you want the illusion of beauty. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> not the truth of reality. Very similar to the Matrix. Um <laughs> I guess, yeah, I think I'm going to go with fish, too. Mainly, the yeah, because birds are way more prevalent in our daily lives than fish. And, like, in the eating situation, I find myself at a restaurant, like, outside with birds just, like, gathering around me way more often than I do with, like, a fish tank next to me. And I eat chicken a lot, so <laughs> that would be awkward. Yeah, if the birds were talking about something... If you could expect the birds to talk about something interesting, maybe it would switch. But it's all mating calls. It's just booty calls. And then you're just going to have to listen to that. Yeah. Which. Um, trying to think of a segue from that. <laughs> yeah, I had one. I just couldn't get this. I just couldn't get the sentence from together. booty calls to Patreon. <laughs> yeah. That's basically it's time for our version of the our podcast version of the booty call where we ask you for favors, but not sexual favors because we're not allowed to do that. But I, I believe all you listeners are very, very sexy. And if we needed sexual favors, you'd be the people to go to if you consented. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm dying here. Anyway, if you like this episode, leave a review or go to our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash absurdhypotheticals. And you can click on Become a Patron there. Just $1 a month gets you access to our bonus content, which is not sexual, as I've been implying. It's just good hangouts it's just and listening to us talk more of us it's more of us talking which is what you're here for anyway so you can go check that out you can also hear us talk about all sorts of random nonsense next week because we have a lightning round <laughs> where instead of doing research and preparing we just do rapid fire questions off the cuff lots of fun we've done it a few times this will be number 14 so we will see you next monday when that comes online <laughs>